Hey, question for you today as we get started. When was the last time you shared something with someone? Can you pinpoint the moment? Do you remember exactly what it was that you shared? Can you identify it? Was it something small and insignificant or was it something that held great value to you? Do you remember why you shared it? How did it make you feel sharing it? I'm gonna give you time to talk about that in your house church in a minute. But first, I would like to welcome you to Miami Valley Church. My name is Pastor Jed, and I am so thankful to get to worship and follow our Lord Jesus alongside you in your house church today. If this is your first time joining us or your first time being a part of a house church, I wanna say welcome. We've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the early church. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come. Salvation comes in the name of Jesus. And the church is growing. So here's what I'm going to ask you and your house church to do today. I'm going to ask if someone would read out loud for your house church, Acts 4, verses 32 through Acts 5, verses 11. Acts 4, 32 through Acts 5, verse 11. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. There's going to be a timer that comes up. Go ahead and just hit pause. I want you to have a discussion about the last time that you shared something and then have someone read those verses out loud. Acts 4.32 through 5.11 out loud. And then we're going to come back together and take a, look at, take a closer look together. So let's do that right now. Hey, as we come back together, I want to give you the title of today's message right up front, and it's called this, The First Take. The First Take. I'm sure you've probably heard this phrase before, most likely in film, right? We got it all done in the first take. It's the first impression, the, the first thoughts, the first attempt, and hopefully you'll see the play on words as we go along today in this uh, discussion. So let's dive into this right up front. As you just read Acts 4.32, out loud in your house church, it says, All the believers... We're united in heart and mind. Remember back with me, the church is growing. The good news is spreading. It's good. However, remember, whenever there is something good, whenever there is something good, the enemy is close behind and he is looking to destroy. That's what he came to do, to steal, to kill, and destroy. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, these followers of Jesus and, and how they have faced persecution but they can't be silent about Jesus, about who he is and everything he has done. They can't, they can't be silent about everything that they have experienced. And the church prays for boldness. Acts 4.29, it says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. 1 John 5.14 says, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. And that's exactly what happens, family. God hears their prayer and graciously gives them boldness. Let me ask you today, when was the last time that you prayed for boldness? Boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. Boldness to proclaim Jesus around the people that God has put in front of you. Boldness in your witness, sharing Christ and the gift of salvation that he offers. Have you forgotten that God invites you to come before him, that he hears you, and that he desires for you to have this boldness as well? 
And he gives himself. He gives himself to work in you and through you. Acts 4.31 says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Family, when it says all the believers were united in heart and mind, I need you to see this isn't by man's doing. This couldn't be planned or programmed out or it couldn't be organized or manufactured because when we do this, when we when we think that we have organized it or, or put it together, we would probably say, look at what we've done. Family, this is a gift from God. And it's a gift that he wants to give. It's what he wants. It's, it's unity. It's what we've been looking at. The, the oneness with God and with each other. It requires obedience. It requires action. It requires uh, following. Taking a step uh, of trusting him. And it takes obedience from us, but it's not all because of us. And it says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Family, this is probably the most important line from today's reading. I need you to see this. It says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they have. How does that hit you? Does it put a desire inside of you to, to be able to see something like this or to be part of a movement like this? Or maybe it does the opposite in you. What's your first reaction? What's your first take? Maybe it's, I've worked hard for everything I have. There's no way I'm giving my stuff away, especially to someone who just sits around, someone who doesn't deserve it. I, I, I couldn't do that. It's so hard for you to imagine sharing everything you have. Does it leave you wondering what would that look like? Family, as we look at this early church, we see this is one of the ways that they were described as having unity, being united, one mind. Did you catch that? I said they are described, not it. I hope that you see by now the church, as we're looking at the early church, I hope that you see by now the church is an active, living body of believers. It's not an institution or place or gathering or meeting. It's a community called The Way. It's people who are on a love mission, sent out. Yes, they have been sent out by the one who loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. We worship a God who desires unity, who, who desires this unity with his children and between his children. What's the first, church, what's the first take of the church today? Does the world see a unified body, family, if it's not already, this needs to be part of our prayer. Lord, make our gaze be set upon you. May we desire the unity that you desire for your children to have with you and with your body. Jesus is coming back. Family, his bride needs to be ready. Acts 4.34 says, There were no needy people among them. Because those who, those who own land or, or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. We see that when we stare at Jesus, not only is there, is there unity, but the things that we once thought were important, the things that we cling to so tightly, they lose significance. When we spend time with King Jesus, we see that, that God is the owner of everything. And he is the giver of everything. When we stare at him, when we stare at the one who is seated on the throne, 
we see that he is owner of everything, that he is in control of everything, and that he is giver of everything. That everything is available to those who are in need, that he sees the needs, and he will meet the needs. We, we see the church bold with how it lives it out. See, from a human perspective, to sell all of your possessions, to give everything to meet needs of others, it seems silly. It seems like you're setting yourself up for a failure in the future, right? When, when everything runs out, you are going to be the one who ends up in need. You're going to be the one who, who ends up without any. So why would they do this? Remember back with me, just uh, as, we, as we looked at Acts 2, this is just a continuation. Remember back with me, Acts chapter 2. It says, And all those who had believed were together. They were united. It's the same language here. And they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. This is a continuation of Acts 2 as we just looked at. And we see the church growing. It's getting bigger. The, the good news is spreading out. More and more believers are being added. This is a good thing. But it also poses an opportunity. With more and more people, surely this means that more and more needs will arise. But what some might see as a problem, uh-oh, how are we going to meet all these needs? The church is growing. There are so many people being added. And the, the needs are almost overwhelming. They saw it as an opportunity to trust the Lord and live generously. I need you to see this today. Selling their possessions and bringing the money to the apostles, leaving it to them to distribute. Now with the church growing, that means giving to someone you might not even know. And that's hard for some people. It's easy where at one time you may have heard the need personally. You may have even seen the need personally. And you give to help meet the need personally. Now it becomes the church is growing. The church is getting so big. I might not ever hear the need. I might not ever see the person. I might not even get the joy of personally meeting the need. But here's what happens. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to give generously out of obedience, out of believing that he will take care of the need. He is the one who hears every need, who sees every need. He's the one who's going to bless someone abundantly with it. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give. God didn't need their possessions or their money. What he wanted was their trust. And family, it requires trust. Trusting that he will meet every need. Trusting that he will provide. Trusting it's what it requires. And he wants the same of us today. He looks at our heart to see if we will trust him. Family, it's unity. It's, it's living with this abundant generosity. And then let's take a look at Acts 4, 36. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Wow, what an honor to have your name recorded in God's word that says how you trusted the Lord and gave generously. Wow, 
because of his upbringing and the tribe that he was from, he would have most likely been a wealthy man. And I want you to remember, these are real people in a real place at a real time. Remember, this, this is during a time of persecution. There's persecution that's happened. We just looked at that the last couple of weeks. This is countercultural. This wasn't the norm to do something like this. But it says that he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. He knew that there would be a need. He trusted the Lord and out of worship and obedience to how Jesus called him to live, he gave not just crumbs, not just a tip, not just a percentage. He sold a field and brought the money to the apostles. Wow. And I believe that that very word was put right there in this text to show us how it can be to show us what the church could look like. What's the first take of the church today? What's the first impression when it comes to God's people living generously and meeting needs? What does the world see when they look at us? But then we come to chapter five and we see this very unusual account of a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And maybe as you read this out loud in your house church today, maybe, maybe this struck you, but I want us to go through this together because I believe God is wanting to show us something in this today. It says, now they too were followers of Jesus. Don't miss that. They too were followers of Jesus. They too were part of this community. And it says that they too sold some property. Look at this. Starting in verse two, right here, look, read this with me. It says, he brought part of the money, Ananias brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, with his wife's consent, don't, don't miss that they agreed upon this. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell and not to, or not to sell. As you wished, it was your choice. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some of the young men got up, wrapped him up in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried her husband are just outside of the door and they too will carry you out. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Wow. How does the story hit you? Does it seem harsh? Does the punishment fit the crime in your eyes? Well, here's what I need you to see today. This is the first sin that we get to see in the church. As we've been looking at Acts, as we've been looking at the early church, the church is brand new. It's, it's just being born. It's in its infancy, and this is the first sin that we get to see. And when you hear that, a bell should be going off in your head right now. Remember from our time together a couple weeks ago when I said that Satan despises anything good that God has designed and from the beginning, from the beginning, has relentlessly attacked the good so that we, who were the intended recipients of the goodness of God, may suffer. 
Satan hates the good that God has for us and seeks to destroy or at least distort what God has made for our good. That's what he came to do, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And this should remind us of the book of Genesis. This should take us back to the garden. And we see this picture. God created all there is. And on multiple occasions, he stepped back and said, it is good. And we do not get far into the story, not quite even three chapters in. And we find the enemy coming in and attacking the good that God had created. And in the very same way, right here in the book of Acts, we see this beautiful picture. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit arrives, salvation comes to man in the name of Jesus. The church is born, the lame are being healed, the good news is being preached, and the, the good news is going out all over. It's, it's growing, more and more people are being added. Yet just four chapters in, Satan rears his ugly head in the form of persecution. And right here in chapter 5, Peter says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell, or it was not yours to sell. It was your choice. It was as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God and family. Do you see it? This is a garden story played out all over again. This is, it's the first take. In Genesis, the serpent comes and and questions Adam and Eve. He says, did God really say, did God really say to make them doubt God's word and to, to, to get them to doubt what they knew to be true? God had told them exactly what was off limits. But this was his tactic in the beginning, and it still is his tactic today, to get you to doubt God's word. Did God really say? He did it to Adam and Eve, and he still does it to you and me today. This is why we, as your pastors, encourage you to be in God's word, to spend time with him, to know his word, to get it inside of you, to memorize it, because the enemy is going to try his best to distract you from it and get you to doubt it. And what happens is, is when when he can get us to doubt God's word, when he can get us to doubt truth, family, we start believing the lie. This is what I'm going to be talking about all next week. This is what I'm going to share. I'm going to share some statistics, some statistics with you that should terrify you. It should break your heart. But family, sadly, this is what happens. When we get away from God's word, we start believing the lie. And we read in Genesis 3, it says, this, You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. It's the first take. It says they reached out and took. And it's the same thing right here we see in Acts 5. Both Ananias and Sapphira, they took what was not theirs And they held it back from God. They said it was the full amount, but they only brought a portion. The first recorded sin in the church was the sin of holding back. And God dealt with it severely because this sin was a sin against him, against his church, and it influenced another to sin. I need you to see 
the, the, the devastation of sin. It doesn't just affect us. I want you to see the difference of receiving versus taking. You can't receive something that wasn't offered to you, but you can take it. The fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it, it wasn't offered to them. God said, this is off limits. God said, if you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. God wouldn't give us something that would cause us harm. It's not in his character. But it says Eve saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Family, don't be deceived. The enemy is good at what he does. He'll put it right in front of you. He'll make it look so appealing. He'll make it look so attractive. And it's right there in front of you. James 1.13 says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It says they took. And the same is true in Acts 5. It says Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. Who owned the property? They might have been their earthly owners, but God owns it. God owns that property. He owns that property still to this day. God is the creator of everything. He owns everything. He is even the one who, who generously allowed them to acquire it, to be managers of it. Everything, everything we have, we're just managers of it. God owns it. God owns everything. The house you have, God owns that, that property. The car you drive, God owns that. God owns everything, and he allows us, us to be stewards of everything, and he looks at our hearts to see how we use them to see how we give, to see how we share our things, or, or if we just keep and pile up things for ourselves. But it says that they sold some property and secretly kept back part of the proceeds, saying this was the full amount. It's the same action. It looks so good, it was so enticing, and so they took. Keeping back anything allows Satan or his demons, or his demons to control you with their lies. I need you to see that today. Keeping back anything, holding something back, that gives power to Satan and his demons to control you with their lies. The enemy will use whatever it takes to accomplish his agenda. And look at the other danger we see here, holding back or taking. It influences others to sin. Ananias, he is a spiritual leader of his home. I need you to see this, that it starts right here in, in the home. And it was his responsibility for his wife. He talked her into sinning against God and the church. And that sin not only cost him his life, but it also cost her life. Remember, the Bible is firm concerning us becoming a stumbling block for others. How terrible it will be for any of us who lead others into sin. This is nothing to be messed around with, nothing to joke around about. The action of reaching out and taking says, I'm going to control this thing. It says, I can control this thing better. I don't trust you, God. I don't trust that you can, and so I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to hold it back from you. And I want to ask you today, where do you fall short in this? What area of your life are you not allowing God to control? 
Family, I want you to see that, that holding anything back, holding anything back as a follower of Christ is, is partial commitment to Jesus, period. I want you to hear that today. Holding anything back as a follower of Christ is partial commitment to Jesus, period. It's a refusal to let go of some of the world that is keeping you in sin. It's not easy for any of us to let go of everything and trust Jesus. But Jesus promises us that if we will turn our lives completely over to him, if we will turn our lives completely over to him, we will be blessed beyond our wildest expectations. Look at what he says. Matthew 5, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose heart are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, and the kingdom of heaven is there. God, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. What are you not letting go of today? What have you reached out and have just taken and you just can't release because your grip is so tight? The God we serve is a holy God and he is, he is not to be messed with and he shows how serious he is about this. What might have seemed severe to you in this passage and Acts just shows how much he can't stand sin, family. Because look at what it does. It separates his children from him. God is spotless. He's holy. He's without sin. He is, he is light with no darkness in him at all. And from the beginning, he has always had a plan to give by his grace, to get us out of that sin, to free us from that bondage of sin, to once for all time break through the barrier, the separation between us and him. And that was done by Jesus. Jesus gave his life as an offering for you and your sin. Listening to this today, would you receive that today? He's offering that to you. The family holding on to something, holding on to anything, and not giving it over to him is only partial commitment to Jesus. And he's calling you to trust him, to give it to him today to allow him to take it over, to allow him to take control. What is it that you're holding on to so tightly today? He's inviting you into this holy unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the, his body of believers. This is what he wants. He wants to give you life that is abundant. His goodness and generosity, loving people, caring for others, flowing through you by his very spirit. And you have the choice today to follow him. You have the choice today to put your trust in him. You have the choice today to walk in obedience toward him. Or you can choose your own way and hold on to that thing so tightly. 
you can close your grip around that thing even more tightly today. And so I want to leave you with an opportunity. This is what I want you to wrestle with right now. An opportunity to trust him. As you have heard his word, as you have heard truth right now, I want to invite you to share something. And I want you to do it as the Lord prompts you. I have been praying over this time together. And I believe right now in this very moment, God is putting something on your heart before you right now to share, to give up, to hand over, to stop holding on to. And he wants to see if you will trust him. What is it today that you're holding on to? What is it today that you just won't give up? You just can't, you can't release. What is it today that you are trying so hard to control? I can't answer that for you. Only you can do that. But I want to give you the opportunity. Will you share it? Will you lay it at his feet, trusting him? Or will you hold it back? Almighty God, Lord, I believe that your word has been spoken clearly. God, that it never returns void. God, that right now you are prompting hearts. God, that you are searching hearts right now. God, your word says, search me, O Lord. I believe that's exactly what you're doing right now, God. You're searching hearts as they have heard your voice, as they have heard your word, as you're calling them to trust you. God, what is it? May that be their prayer. God, what is it? God, show them right now. Show them what it is that, that they have been holding on to. Show them what it is that they have, they have put in your place. God, show them what it is that they have been idolizing. God, show them what it is that they're just clinging to, that they're holding on to, that they're, that they're putting their trust in. God, I pray that they would share it. God, I pray that they would give it over. God, I pray that they would not hold it back. God, it was never ours to take. And so God, right now in this moment, I pray for repentance. And I pray that that would be the posture of their heart to turn from that thing right now, to give it up, to take their eyes off of that and to put them on you. Because God, when we stare at you, we see the one who is in control of everything. We see the master of the universe who knows where every star is, who created the, the galaxy, who created the universe, yet the very one who knows every hair on our head, who has them numbered. And God, you know us by name. You are in control of everything. God, may they hear that. God, when we stare at you, everything else just loses its value, its significance. God, when we stare at you, 
we see that we are invited into this holy unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this body of believers. We're not looking around at each other, at what, what the other person has. We're not looking around to, to see uh, how we're better than or how we're less than. No, we are staring at the one who paid it all. That's who we get to come before. And we only get to come before you right now because of what Jesus did. And this table that's before us, that reminds us of his body that was broken, that reminds us of his blood that was poured out. We proclaim Jesus. We give thanks for Jesus. And he calls us as, as this body. He calls us to live it out, to live this abundantly generous life. And we can't do that when we're closed-fisted. We cannot do that when we're holding on to stuff. We cannot do that when our arms are full of worldly possessions that we just cling to, that we just hold on to. It's hard to give when we, when we cling so tightly. And Jesus calls us to live abundantly generous lives. That you want to work in us and through us. That we are a blessing to be a blessing to others. So God, may it start right here. God, it's easy for us to, to even point fingers and say, look at the church. It's not this, it's not that. But God, it has to start right here in our hearts. It has to start with us first. We are part of this. We are part of your body, God. May it start right here in us. And so God, right now, I pray. Pray that the person listening to this right now, God, that they would see exactly what it is, that they would take a step of obedience and hand it over to you, trusting that you will do what only you can do with it. God, and the others would be blessed through it, that needs would be met, that you would be glorified. God, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity right now that we have to trust you. It's in Jesus' most precious, most holy, the name above every name that we pray. Amen.